quick thank you to our sponsors for making this podcast possible. They keep this show free to listen to. This episode is sponsored by Byheart. Byheart features a patent protein blend that gets closest to breast milk. Their formula includes the most abundant protein, alpha-lac, found in breast milk, as well as lactoferrin, the number one protein found in colostrum. Byheart is an easy-to-digest formula, which includes prebiotics and an 80-20 whey-to-casein ratio like an early breast milk, making it great for a newborn's digestive system. Byheart is the only U.S.-made infant formula made with certified clean ingredients, including organic, grass-fed, whole milk, not skim. What it doesn't have is soy, corn syrup, GMOs, or palm oil. Curious about Byheart? Redeem your welcome offer at byheart.com forward slash podcast. Use code PEACE for a limited time. Additional terms and conditions apply. I came to parenting with everything I learned in childhood. Yelling, punishing, controlling, and shaming. After trying almost every method, I found Connective Parenting and was totally shocked when empathy, listening, doing away with rewards and consequences, and being a safe place actually worked. It moved the behaviors of my children and it felt good, especially with my very strong-willed and highly sensitive oldest daughter. This podcast was born out of the idea of sharing the message and helping parents find more peace in a modern world. Welcome to the Peace and Parenting Podcast. So glad you're here. Today, I had a great conversation with Cindy and Jen from The Parent Compass, and we discussed their new book and ways in which we can take the pressure off our teens and tweens and how we can really nurture our relationship that we share with our kids as opposed to being focused on what grades they get or what schools they get into or what activities they're doing. So have a listen and let me know what you think. So welcome to the show, ladies. Cindy, do you want to introduce yourself? Sure. I'm Cindy Muchnick. I am the mother of four, a college graduate, a current college student, and two teenagers, two high school students. So I've been in the trenches with, you know, moms all over the planet, but also I've worked uh, as a private educational consultant for almost somewhere between 15 and 20 years and pretty much retired from that. Now I mostly work on my writing and presenting and Jen and I are the co-authors of a book called the parent compass, navigating your teens wellness and academic journey in today's competitive world. That's a lot. That's a lot to navigate. (laughs) Thank you so much. What about you, Jen? I am also a mother. My kids are a little bit younger. I have an eight-year-old and a five-year-old. But I have been an educational consultant in Orange County, California for the past 13 years. I own a company called FutureWise Consulting. And like Cindy, I speak professionally as well. I've worked with hundreds of high school students from all across the country on academic planning and the college admission process. I also come to this field with a background in mental health and research. So I really like to infuse that perspective in my work with my students. I really like to emphasize that the high school years are are full of growth and self-discovery. And I'm particularly passionate about really empowering students through that process. Amazing. Great. I love talking about teens and all the pressures they endure. I also have, I have a daughter who will turn 13 this coming weekend and one who will turn 16 in January. So I too am in the trenches with these lovely teenagers. All in it together. (laughs) For sure. So tell us what 
what is the parent compass? I like that title, but it, you know, it begs a definition. We like to define it as a way to check yourself. It's a way to, um, as a parent, really hold yourself accountable for your parenting behavior. Our goal in writing the parent compass and in starting what we like to call a movement was to help parents really understand their appropriate role in navigating the tween and teen years Mm -hmm. um, when we're surrounded by a super hyper competitive academic environment. And now with COVID, and we can kind of get into the role of COVID in in writing our book um, in a little bit. But now with COVID, this also, you know, we keep on to that, this uncertain world landscape. So so we really wanted to provide practical tools for parents mm-hmm. to adopt better parenting behavior so that their kids could develop grit and resilience and self-reliance, self-advocacy during these teenage years. So it's really this way to check yourself. Um, actually, that was a, a, a potential title <laughs> for the book. We had a title crisis as well that we can get into in a little bit, I like but that. it's a way to check yourself as a parent and making sure that your parenting is intentional in such a way as to contribute to a positive relationship with your teen, as well as kind of their long-term well-being. I love the idea of resilience and grit and how we can really usurp our kids' ability to learn those things with our parenting. And we don't even know we're doing it, unfortunately. And, you know, it actually, that's the hardest part, Michelle, is what we're doing unintentionally is coming from a place of love and coming from a place of wanting to protect and wanting to help. And, and what it's doing is the opposite. And I, having four kids was able to, I think, have a bit of a, you know, a social experiment under our roof and seeing how my parenting changed and grew. And I really hope improved with each subsequent child and knowing they have different needs, but also knowing that if I am not holding myself accountable and checking myself and really following a better etiquette Mm -hmm. as a a parent, then I'm doing more harm than good. And Jen and I see this every day in our offices with our students. We see the results or the current situation for teens of parents who we feel are doing it right and parents who we feel are doing it wrong and parents who we feel are doing it somewhere in between. And probably somewhere in between is where you know, a lot of us end up being because we're constantly trying to um, improve and yeah. we make mistakes all the time. And Jen and I openly discuss those in our book as well. We yeah, are that's not good. perfect in our parenting, but we are trying to continue to learn and grow. Yeah. And I think all of us, pro- we probably have some right, quote unquote, or wrong in, in our parenting too. There's no, there's no getting to perfection. <laughs> Yep. <laughs> there's, not, there's no achieving that. So that's for sure. So tell me, what do you see? What are the big pitfalls or the big warnings or the big, you know, topics that you see in with your kids, with your students that are are potentially harmful? I think one of the biggest things, and and this is something that we actually start the book out with, is self-advocacy skills. I think we we see a lot of parents who speak over their kids. Um, the example that we give at the beginning of the book was something that I experienced a few years ago. A student came into my office with her mom and the mom proceeded to just blather on for a long time about this child's other, you know, 
this sister of the child and the mom's own background. And, and the girl was just kind of getting lost. And, um, I, I tried to steer the conversation toward her and I asked her, you know, tell me about yourself. What do you like to do? And she froze. She couldn't answer the question. She panicked. She just kind of all of a sudden squeaked out mom and literally could not answer me. And I realized that this girl had really never spoken for herself. The mom had been speaking for her forever. And so we really get into how to give your kids a voice, how to help them feel understood, both in the classroom, uh, obviously, because our book in a large part has to do with your child's education, but also how that translates to outside of the classroom and how that can translate to their own self-confidence. So um, I think one thing is self-confidence. I think another pitfall is also focusing too much on, uh, we have a, we have a chapter called helping parents to focus on the journey and not on the destination. And I think um, it's easy for us as human beings to, I do it too. I mean, all of us do it, Um, but focusing on that destination on the end game rather than the student's journey, which might be their effort or their persistence or what, what got to that a instead of focusing too narrowly on the A and praising them for that A. So we get a lot into what are ways that we can really be focusing more on praising them for that effort and helping them to grow and learn that their intelligence is something that can expand. So I I would say that those are two major pitfalls that I see. Yeah, I think too, sometimes when, I mean, I feel like when my kids have failed, when I've let them fail, because I never really want to, I want to enter being and say, I'm going to fix it. I can do everything. Let me call the teacher. Let me, you know, whatever. But when I've said, okay, I'm going to step back and let them fail that that outcome actually is a better outcome than the A because there's so much growth there. And when we can let them do that really young, I feel like we, we really give them that grit because they learn, Oh, I can fail, but I'm going to be okay. Cause my parents are going to be there to support me. You're following your parent compass, Michelle. Oh, You're doing it. You're some days, in that way. <laughs> some days I do it. Some days I'm like, oh, I'm going to go in there. I'm going to talk to that teacher. You know, But I try really hard not to because it's, it's been a real gift. You know, I don't, um, I don't look at my kids' grades ever. And it's been a real gift to let that go and let that be theirs. And it's been really hard, really, really hard as a former <laughs> teacher, but it's yeah, been yeah. such a gift. We do the same thing in our home, Michelle. Um, you know, our kids, you could check in and see things. I don't even know how to log in to the account to do that. But we do get an email twice a year with a progress report and some grades. And we print it out and we walk into our kids' room and we go, tell, you know, tell us what's going on. Tell us how yeah. school's going. Tell us how you feel about how you feel about things. We make no judgment. We don't question, what could you be doing better? Why do you have this grade in this class? It's a very uh, conversational dialogue and they have a lot to say when you just let them express it and you're not judging it or picking it apart or asking, why didn't you do this? And why didn't you do that? It's very liberating. And I think it's brought us much closer to our teens because they know we're not hovering and, you know, worried about each of these moments in their you know, I call it kind of the drop in the ocean. I mean, each of these grades individually, each test, each quiz, whatever, is this tiny moment in a very large ocean of moments. And so, and I remind them of that when they do have 
a bad grade or something they're disappointed in that they share. And I say, okay, so, you know, what have we learned from it? What are we going to do differently next time? You know, what, what steps might you want to take? Do you want to brainstorm? You know, we, we start with letting them share. And then when they're stuck, we just say, you know, do you want to talk more about it? Or do you want to go talk to your advisor about it? Yeah. So good. (laughs) It's so, so good. I think that when we give them the onus too, it gives them that ownership, like, oh, these are my grades, not my mom's grades. You know, I'm in, I'm responsible for them. She's not going to make sure I pass. I have to do that. And that's, that's a big responsibility, but a great thing to be able to. And, and it also says, I, I trust you. I trust you can do this because you're, yeah. you're smart enough to make this all happen in whatever way you want to make it happen. I, it's so incredible that, and I think one other thing that I was just thinking when you were talking is that we really damage the relationship with our teens when we're constantly nagging them about their grades. It's the last thing they want on their plate is their parents on their back. We really ask parents to take the long view to parenting, which means to ask yourself at every turn, at every nag, at every, you know, every conversation that you have with your teen, what is this in service of? Is this going to matter in a week? Is this going to matter in a month? Is this going to matter in a year? And when we can take a long view to parenting, we're really changing our perspective with the things that we're nagging about. And we can really cultivate a better relationship with them. I like that. The long view, it is a long view, but I think we all as parents, we get so stuck in like this tiny moment, like you were saying, like this little bitty grade in the, like <laughs> there's 80 years of life. <laughs> like we <laughs> not algebra yeah. will, it's okay. If the algebra is not an A, it's okay. <laughs> yeah. We also say, um, tell parents that, you know, we, we had our turn right? We got to be teenagers. We got to be tweens. We got to go through this, albeit a generation ago, but we did. And so now it's their turn, right? And it's, it's their opportunity to kind of be who they're going to be in whatever way they're going to be it. And, you know, Jen and I did um, a podcast a few months ago, and we've walked away with this quote that we really love about when your kids leave your home, you know, usually around 18, when they've, you know, are going off to whatever they're doing after high school, which we also talk about that. There's alternative routes to college. It's not just straight to college, but whatever they're doing after high school and they've probably left your home, that all you're left with in the end is your relationship. That's what's left. So what were all the things you did to cultivate and build that? And don't you want them to give you a phone call when they're gone and stay in touch when they're gone and like you hopefully when they're gone. So all the things you're doing along the way are really in service of building that relationship in a way that's productive and positive. It's not always fun and easy and there will be arguments, there will be disagreements, there will be frustrations, but the reality is if they know, like you said, Michelle, that you are shoulder to shoulder, you are there for them. You will always be there for them. Then that is what's left in a really good way. Yeah. It's so true because you're right. What do we have left? That's it. The grades don't matter. The If they snuck out of the house at 16, it doesn't matter. None of it. And we've put so much emphasis on that, that we end up rupturing our relationships really deeply with our kids who I've seen a lot now. I'm sure you guys do too, because you have kids that are getting older and you can see your peers and their kids and the relationship. And often I'm thinking, Oh, I feel so bad for some of these kids who are so, you know, their relationships are so fractured and they're, they're feeling so alone and they can't confide in their parents. And it's just very sad. I'm sure you guys see it in your practices too. Well, I think that's one thing Cindy and I have talked about the fact that we've been able to watch parent-child relationships for 
years and mm-hmm. years and years. And we've gotten a front seat to how different families parent and how that impacts the relationship. And that's so much of what the parent compass draws on. I actually sometimes um, will ask my students about their relationship with their parents. And one of my favorite moments was I had a student a few years ago. She just floored me. She was a go-getter. She was just so confident and she's just going to move and shake things in life. And I remember when we were done with our work together, I said, so what did your parents do? And without skipping a beat, she looked at me and she said, they made me do hard things. And I've always remembered that moment. And I've remembered similar comments like that over the years, because we have had the advantage, I guess, or the opportunity of being able to really study those relationships. And um, we draw on a lot of those examples in the parent compass of what has worked and what has not worked. Yeah. And, and we're looking at those relationships, Michelle, during a process that by definition is a very stressful, overwhelming, um, you know, culmination of your education process. I mean, applying to college. So that is sort of what everything seems to be leading to. And so when we meet these kids, we're meeting them late in middle school or very early in high school. And we're watching, we really do have the privilege of watching the arc of growth and watching also how the parent relationship kind of grows and changes. And it's funny, you know, I, I'm not a therapist by background. Jen does have a mental health background, but um, they share a lot with you in that private time you have together. And you are a trusted, you become a trusted adult in their life who is, you know, on the journey with them. Mm-hmm. And um, it really is. I mean, I, I really should probably say, we've never said it in a podcast before, like a, a gratitude sort of shout out to these parents for entrusting their kids to us because we love what we do and we choose this age group because it is our favorite. I mean, I don't know, Jen, you're raising younger kids, but I mean, I, I loved having younger kids, but I really almost couldn't wait for my kids to be tweens and teens because I felt like that was the area I understood professionally and also just almost interested me the most. And I knew the best from my work. And so um, once you become the parent of that age, it it certainly informs. I'm excited to see where Jen's kids, (laughs) how they evolve through this journey too. (laughs) Yeah. Beginning November 26th through November 29th, my four online courses will all be discounted by 25%. This is the lowest I offer the courses all year long. So if you struggle with sibling fights, can't seem to stop yelling, need more cooperation, at home, or are dying for ways to navigate big feelings, you might just find some peace and solace with one or maybe all four of my online courses, which you do at your own pace and you get to keep in perpetuity. Beginning Black Friday through Cyber Monday, all four courses will be on sale. Head to the show notes and find links for each of them. Please use the code PEACE25 to get your Black Friday Cyber Monday special price. I think a lot of people will say, well, conscious parenting or, you know, connected parenting or parenting without punishments or all of these, you know, it gets a bunch of different labels, right? That it produces children who are weak or, you know, that are not strong and who cannot stand up for themselves or who do not have a big, a good moral compass themselves, right? Because they feel like they've, they're just, they're coddled. And I think it couldn't be the more opposite than that, that when you really parent this way, when you really check yourself, when you really become alongside your kids, that they actually are stronger. 
I'll share, I think yeah. if it's okay, I want to just yep. share one story Please. that kind of illustrates the non-parent compass following parent. And yeah, it's this, this story of, um, actually wasn't even a client or a student I was working with. It was a family vacation I was taking with my own family. We were on a tour bus with another family and they had a son um, that was similar in age to two of my kids. He was in the thick of high school and my two older boys were in high school at the time. So we're just making conversation because we're on a tour bus waiting to get to our next destination. And he was alone with his parents. He was the only child. And we started a conversation of, you know, where do you go to school? And what do you like doing in your free time and what's your activities? And it turned into this uncomfortable, very heated conversation about the student basically telling us that he's been a diver. He's done diving his whole life. And it's a very specialized sport. He was a swimmer and then he moved to diving because I guess he'd been a gymnast and he now is a junior in high school and he wants to quit and his parents won't let him quit. And he starts to sort of on the bus ride, unload his story as his parents faces proceed to get redder and redder and kind of more embarrassed and almost angrier and almost became this sort of family disagreement on the bus that we were just trying to make conversation to get to know this kid. And he said, yeah, my parents won't let me quit. I've been doing it too long. And they say, I have to use it for college. And, and so I said, um, gosh, that's, you know, wow, that's wonderful. You have this really big talent and this unique interest, but I'm curious, why do you want to quit? And what would you rather do with your time? And he said, oh my gosh, I, I want to join the school newspaper and I want to go to prom and I want to, you know, maybe have a girlfriend and I wanted to try photography, but I just don't have time for those things because all I'm doing is being pushed and pushed and pushed to do diving. And the parents sort of tried to kind of kept making excuses. Well, you know, it would help for his college chances and we've invested so much money and so much time. And it, it really became about them and not about the kid. And we, my kids were so uncomfortable in the conversation. They sort of kept looking at me and they, afterwards we downloaded about, we felt so awful and sort of sorry for this kid that he was really being forced to continue something he really didn't want to do. And he was sharing that with strangers. I mean, he must've been incredibly desperate and incredibly yeah. sad to have to kind of share that with us. And yeah. we've then experienced the opposite, which we also talk about in the book. And you know, Jen, if you want to share that yeah, story, please you probably do. Could. I like you actually kind of juxtaposed that anecdote with an anecdote of a student of mine who was a very high level water polo player and had been playing for many, many years. And I think it was kind of expected that um, she was going to be recruited and she was going to play in college. And she got to the end of her junior year and just couldn't take it anymore. She couldn't take the pressure. She couldn't take, she took her academics very, very seriously. And I think to her that truly like in her core was her priority. She loved to learn and playing water polo so intensely was taking away from that. And so she came into my office one day crying and, um, she said, you know, I know my parents are kind of counting on this is kind of what's going to usher me into these, you know, various schools, but I just, I can't, I can't play anymore. I can't do it. And I need to quit. And I, and this girl was actually, you have to kind of know a little bit of a background. She was, she was a very non-emotional girl. Like she, she was kind of like, you know, tell it how it is. And, and her parents, like, that was almost, I think one of the first things they ever told me about her was that she wasn't super emotional. And the fact that she was crying, I think was all the more um, evidence of how terribly she felt and how, how much she really, really wanted to to quit. And so she thought about it over the weekend. We, we talked about reconvening 
um, the following week. And she came back the next week and she said, you know what, I, I, I decided that this really is what I want. I want to stop playing. I'm so scared to tell my parents, talk through how she might do that. Following week, she came, comes back and um, it couldn't have gone better. Honestly, she, her parents really did follow their parent compass. They, you know, they expressed, I think, a human, human nature. They, they expressed that they were concerned about her quitting and was this really the right decision. But ultimately, she felt and understood that they heard her mm-hmm. and that they truly wanted the best for her. They just wanted her to be happy. And fast forward this story, I think in those moments, all of us are kind of apt to think, well, how does this play out in the future? And oh my gosh, she's not going to go to a good school, not go to school that, that we wanted her to go to. And yeah. you know, we, we can play it out. And this girl is thriving. It gave her the room to really embrace some other parts of her that had been pushed aside to make the time to play this very intense sport. She got to college. She got super into research and spent most of her days in the research lab and she's now going to medical school. So, you know, I, I just, I think that there is a way to approach it and there is a way to not approach it. And I think those two examples really complement one another in terms of um, showing those different. I love both of those. Those are so good. The one on the bus, it makes my heart hurt. (laughs) I know people have asked me what happened to him. I'm like, I should have gotten the phone number. I feel so bad. It makes my heart hurt. I'm like, baby boy. I I know. Thank you guys. This was so lovely. I really super duper appreciate it. Is there any last, maybe like a piece of advice? Like what would you say to parents out there who are like, no, I'm not letting go of the grades. I can't, it's too hard. You know, I got to make sure they get in college. I'm going to push them to do this. I got to push them to do that. I'm checking, I'm doing, I'm controlling everything because I don't want to let go of the control. What would you say to them? Well, I I would say, um, Jen and I also say this in the book, The Parent Compass, but it takes bravery. You have to be brave to attempt to do this. And I just finished reading a different parenting book a couple of weeks ago myself, because I still read parenting books to try to continue improving and learning more. And the last chapter of that book went into how hard it is when you read a parenting book, you read it and you nod and you say, I could try this or, Oh, I'm doing that. And so I must be doing something right. But to put it into practice does take some bravery and the parent compass is asking parents to do some pretty hard things, but they're doable. And we've had feedback from parents who say, I read the book over the weekend and I started on Monday and it's improving and it's changing. And I see my relationship improving pretty quickly when I just shift my, my tone or my style or my approach. And so we believe so much that this movement works and we're trying to kind of spread the movement. So I would say my main thing would be be brave and and stand up and try some of these things because they are helpful and really they're in service of caring about our kids' mental health. And what is more important really than, you know, how they're, how they're doing. Yeah. I think COVID told us that too. I had so many really struggling teens during COVID. And I think it said to us like their mental health is so important. I like that message. Thank you, Cindy. What about you, Jen? What's your advice? I'll I'll build on that a little bit. Um, So I think, yes, the mental health is so critical. And, you know, when the pushing and the pushing and the pushing is, contributing to poor mental health of our teens and they get to college campuses 
and they're not thriving because they don't know how to thrive. And so what, when parents are trying to, in their heads, help their kids by pushing and controlling, they're doing the exact opposite because their kids can't cut it it, when they get to the real world. But kind of taking that one step further, I think what I would have the parent that you're describing know and embrace is the fact that there is research out there that tells us that it matters more what a student does on his or her ultimate college campus than the name of where he or she goes. So the research tells us that their long-term success and well-being is better predicted by the opportunities that they take advantage of on their campus than the name of that campus, than the kind of name brand school. And that's research in part that's done by Challenge Success. And you can look up this amazing white paper that they have and that kind of goes into it a lot more deeply. But I think when parents can start to really understand that and trust that that really is true, um, maybe they can start to learn to relinquish some control and um, really show their kids that they trust them to live their own lives. Oh, I like that. Trust them to live their own lives. Yes. Yay. That was so good. Thank you, ladies, so much. I so appreciate your perspective and all the ideas in your book. And thanks for coming on and and sharing with my people. I hope that they glean lots of good nuggets from this interview. So thanks for joining us on the Peace and Parenting Podcast. And we'll see you guys next time. Thank you for having us. Thank you. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.